Welcome to the Loyalty Program Builders podcast, where together with the top industry experts, we discuss business and technical challenges of implementing and running loyalty programs. Loyalty programs are complex. That's why together with our guests, we make difficult processes easy to understand and provide actionable steps to reach your loyalty program goals. Subscribe to our newsletter and become a part of a community dedicated to loyalty program excellence. Hey everyone, today we're addressing the common challenges when implementing a loyalty program in larger organizations. The goal of this episode is to break down the complexities of loyalty programs from understanding why they are important to nailing the right communication style. And our guest is Amanda Kromhout, a loyalty thought leader, loyalty awards judge, experienced airline and retail executive, founder and CEO of Truth, a leading global loyalty consultancy, and also the founder of the Blind Loyalty Trust. And guess what? Amanda has recently been awarded the International Loyalty Personality of the Year at the International Loyalty Awards. And in a moment, you'll know why. So without further ado, here's Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What a privilege. Thank you. Brilliant. And today we have this, you know, nice topic because we would like to address the common challenges when implementing a loyalty program in bigger organizations. So if you could, you know, share your experience with us. And actually, I'm going to just like, you know, jump right in. Uh, we have, let's say, like a list of, of nine most common challenges. And the first one is actually, you know, just knowing what the program is for. So what is your take on that? So I think this is a critical starting point. So I'm really glad we started the discussion with this because if the organization isn't crystal clear on why they're doing this journey into loyalty or a loyalty program, they're going to get stuck. When it gets difficult, they're going to challenge why they're doing it. They're going to reverse their decisions into alternative options. So there's a number of reasons why an organization may go down the the route of loyalty. And these can span from... Um, typically it starts with increased revenue and profit. Um, but if that's the only thing, it can get a bit challenging. So, you know, the other options can be uh, a multifold of options, but um, it could be about data acquisition and data enrichment. So it's very difficult for some organizations to actually have permission-based data. And loyalty programs really give that from first-party data through to zero-party data. Then obviously, if you can really manage your relationships with customers properly, you have customer retention rather than the forever chasing for customer acquisition. And then there's other elements, you know, like maybe it's brand enhancement. Maybe the loyalty program is so core to the brand proposition that it actually really enhances the mother brand in such a way that creates a halo effect and drives a, a better brand experience overall. And then ultimately, it could be customer centricity across all aspects of the organization. So not just marketing, but into the operations, into the, you know, whether it's store operations for retail or whether it's the banking environment. So, so the organizations are making decisions, not just in the marketing space, but about product price um, and strategic intention because they are strategically driven by a customer centric approach. 
So unless an organization can actually define those reasons for why they're doing a loyalty program, they can get seriously unstuck um, because it is going to be difficult and it is going to require budget and it is going to require change, all of which require um, commitment, financial and leadership commitment. And some of the most incredible organizations that deliver loyalty well, you'll hear that the top organization is committed to it and the top organization understands why they're doing it. And it, you pick off their investor relations report, you know, in the annual results. You can see straight away which organizations take this seriously because they actually talk about it being in their top priorities. And if it's totally missing from their top priorities as an organization and in investor relations performance feedback, then they're not actually probably taking it seriously enough. So it's not a little decision is what I think I'm trying to say. Um, there's a lot to consider. Definitely. And I was just thinking like, you know, it's, it's like, is it better to start small, let's say, and just like maybe choose, you know, like one or two or three goals? Or is it actually a huge opportunity for companies to like, you know, have this like a loyalty program as a sort of like a platform and context for, for alignment? Yes, yeah, so I see. Obviously, we see both approaches put into place. Um, I think if it is so strategic, it needs to be thought through from every aspect so that it can be uh, designed and executed properly. And if you are part of a large corporate, there's a million and one moving parts. So if we'll later, I know we'll end up talking about technology. If you are going to go into a technology investment approach, you need to make sure you know what the future game state is, not just what the next test and trial approach is. So, so there are other examples, though, where organizations have started small and just said, let's just get a couple of cool ideas off the ground, start engaging with customers, proof of concept, and they can build organically from there. So I think it depends on whether it's the complexity of the organization, the complexity of the systems environment, and obviously the strategic rationale behind it. So... I was thinking about like, you know, action steps after we discussed this, this sort of like a point, but I think that here is very straightforward. It's basically like, just make sure that you understand what this loyalty program is for and you understand the why behind it. Yeah, exactly. And interestingly, when our company Truth, when we run workshops to assist companies, uh, clients to get on the road to customer loyalty, we start with this and the title of the slide in big, bold, beautiful letters is why. And we won't move until we've had this discussion. And sometimes, um, you know, organizations could get frustrated with that and they want to go straight into the innovation and design. And it's like you can't because when you start to design, you've got to design to answer the why. So you're absolutely right. It's a big, bold, three-letter word that headlines the whole the whole journey that these companies will start upon. Sure. And I believe that it's not only like answering the why within the marketing department, but actually going like cross-functional between the departments, right? Yeah, that's a super important point. So we're often asked who should be in that initial workshop for strategy and maybe program design. And our response is always as many people as will have a future voice into the loyalty program. So if it is just the marketing department. I get slightly concerned because I know Future State will have IT and finance and operations and commercial teams all challenging why and what are we designing. So it's much better to have the top exco of an organization or the top steercom equivalent 
in the room and and the troublemakers. I'd, I would much rather be working with the initial troublemakers so that I can help, uh, you know, mitigate any concerns and put to bed any untruths maybe because often individuals, as we all do, because we're all consumers, come to the table of strategic discussion and say, we actually want to do it this way because that's what I like. But that isn't necessarily what's right for your your customer base. So it's quite important that you do also have the troublemakers in the room so that we can have those robust discussions early rather than later. Sure. Okay, cool. Thank you. So definitely that makes sense. And then if you can just explain why, then it's going to be so much easier later on, I believe. And the, it, it actually leads us to the next challenge. And, uh, you know, it's it's about just time and actually figuring out, you know, how much time you need to implement and plan and, you know, like, like do everything around the loyalty program. I tend to be really optimistic. <laughs> so I, I believe that, you know, this one is, is huge and huge for me as well. So, right. What, what would you say here? Like, you know, what, what about the time constraints or actually, you know, how to make sure that we are aware how much time we really need to, to just like, you know, yeah, it's a million dollar question, actually. It's the question we're asked after the first discussion with any f- potential client is how quickly can we implement this? Not even how quickly can we get started? And it's my worst question to try and answer because I know nothing necessarily about the environment the company's trying to implement in and so on. So I always say that if there are no obstacles, of which that never happens, but if there are no obstacles and if it's a very straightforward systems architectural sort of design, i.e. you've already got maybe a system that just has a extension to it, we could do everything else within three months from discussion through to, and we've done that. We've worked with clients that have said, okay, we've got this system, we're going to work within it, which isn't ideal because you're answering to the system capability rather than the customer design, but let's just go with that for now. We will say to our clients, everything else if we have a fair wind on our on our tail, will be about three months. But that is really, really rare. I think you'll find, you know, I'm working with another client now. It started out simple and we are 18 months down the line and closing in on completion. So as I said, it's super impossible to answer until you, um, the great expression that many um, actual systems companies use is until you lift up the bonnet of the car, of the organization, you can't really answer that. So we could start the work with our clients immediately. Like, you know, I can hold a workshop next week as long as I've got time to prepare, the team can prepare. And if there's data insight insight required, we can do some number crunching with their analyst. But actually to get from this initial discussion through to launch, there are, we always plan against eight steps. We call it eight steps of loyalty program design. And it's number one loyalty, sorry, number one strategy, i.e. the why. Number two, designing the program principally, which can be a brainstorm session against objectives. Number three, testing that concept high level with your consumers through some level of research, going back to a redesign if you need to. Then number four, writing what we call the member engagement plan, which is the actual experience the customer has for the first 12 months. So it's not just about the launch and the sign up, what actually happens, say, in month three, month month seven and so on. Then the technical discussion starts. So you've got to you've got to 
see what technical requirements you need and then go after that technical um, solution or have it built in-house, depending on what the approach is. And then once you've got all of that, maybe you're in a place to actually look, run the numbers, so the commercials. So, you know, how are you going to make money from this program? What are the costs going to be? That takes you to step six. And in my opinion, until you've done those six steps in that order, you're actually not in a position to start building. And only then do you start the build, which is a project phase. And then you launch and then you manage the program and war room for the initial few days. And then KPIs are in place and measured. So they are the eight steps we we work towards for a program launch. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. But I also wanted to ask you about the common obstacles that you you've noticed. You know, what, what is there to look out for? You know, in order not to be over optimistic. And um, it's really the the most critical critical path element is systems, without question, without question. Um, and actually, second to that will be if you have a big organization, often it are the training schedules. So staff training schedules. So systems, I think, is self-explanatory. And I think we will talk about that in a bit more detail later. But the training schedules. So if you think about a, let's take retail, and we're, we're approaching maybe festive season when a lot of temp staff come in to cope with the volumes of the festive trading, they will be going through training to be able to understand the brand and the customer experience they have to deliver with or without a new loyalty program. And then training um plans and schedules are often really set far in advance and are difficult to alter so from our experience you've got the critical path of systems which will dictate the launch date without question i'm sure unless there's some real strange anomalies in the organization we're unaware of and then often the staff training can have a massive impact because if you think about it you can't actually start proper training until uat is done on a system platform because the staff have to use that. So you have to plan all of that um, in the in the project plan and against the critical path. So the obstacles could be multifold, but I think it will be um, systems development and um, staff training, yeah. Okay, so the next point we are going to cover is the metrics. So, you know, what, what how about this one? Yeah, so if you if you remember, I spoke about the eight steps. So step five for us is the commercials. And it's a million dollar question, like how are we going to make money out of this program? Or some companies don't ask for that. Some companies say, how do we just make sure we break even? Because the upside of the loyalty program, we will measure elsewhere. So, But it's not complicated in the sense there are two sides to the equation. There are the costs of running the program, of building the program, and then there are the uh, commercial upside of implementing this. So the costs are easier to work out because you can just measure the costs. You know, you know what your marketing costs are. You talk to the different vendors, whether it's for systems, whether it's for training, whether it's for uh, the website and so forth. So all of those can be quantified. You've got to take into account not just the launch costs, which sometimes can be capitalized, um, but you must also take into account Obviously, the 12, I would say initially a 12-month, if not 36-month operational costs against um, the running costs, people costs, marketing costs, systems costs, and then obviously the amount you're giving away back to your uh, members of the program. So that's the sort of, are you giving away points at 1% or 5%? Are you giving away other benefits? So all of those can be quantified. And then you, <laughs> Then we're touching on the much more difficult metric of, well, what is the upside? Like, what are we actually going to balance that extra cost with? 
And there's a number of different indicators that need to be put into place. So, you know, you'd obviously look at frequency of interaction. You'd look at whether um, if it's retail basket size or if it's banking sort of product holding and so forth or insurance product holding. Um, If it's in the leisure industry, it might be one more visit to the restaurant or one more visit to a hotel and so on. So all of those need to be quantified and a lot of those have to be estimated and a lot of those have to be trusted. So we find that... Some of our clients are very skeptical about this and say, well, how do we believe that? We're about to invest millions of uh, dollars or rands into this project. And we, the, the way we get the discussion approved effectively is by bringing case studies and proven results to the table without sharing anything that can't be disclosed from other clients. So there's a lot of great professionals around the world who talk about this Um I have the honor sometimes of working with, you know, other professionals that you can call upon case studies that just helps back up the knowledge that we have and help convince the client that it's worth the investment. Now, obviously, the client themselves may have already done some proof of concept, may have already done some campaigns that prove these metrics themselves anyway. But this is most certainly the more difficult to get across the line. So, is it incrementality of sales? Is it um, retention levels? Is it percentage of sales or percentage of turnover through the loyalty program? Is it activity rates? You know, so there's a lot of different ways you can slice and dice this this debate, um, all of which are super important. And the trickiest part is proving it. Sure. Do you see any room for like, you know, AI powered tool to just help with creating sort of like a use case at this point? Because as you said, it all depends on the industry, depends on the nature of the business and there are so many different factors. So I'm thinking like, you know, maybe maybe you've already used some 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 tool that actually helps to create this business case and Yeah, so um it doesn't even need, we don't even need to worry about whether it's AI or not. You know, at the end of the day, it does need analytics. It does need data intensive thinking. Um, and if it's a simple business, it can be done simply. If it's a straightforward set of data records to challenge, if it's a complex business, you need some really clever folks around you to do that number crunching that they will use AI within their model, right? So, so I don't think there's a magic tool anywhere in the world where you can just press the button and go, there's the answer. It needs proper scenario planning, so like worst case scenario, middle road, and then best case scenario if you shoot the lights out, and then all kinds of other inputs and challenges against, and working closely with the business. This isn't something an external consultancy can just take away and go, here's your answer. I like to sit down with the business, with the financial guys, talking about margin of the business, talking about category penetration, talking about product holding across, you know, if it's financial services. So it really needs a deep, deep understanding of the business. And that's where, you know, if you're working as an external vendor, whether you're technical or um, a consultant, you just need to have the trust. You need to have built up the trust so that the client lets you into those intimate numbers and you can help guide them in terms of what is the commercial upside versus the cost, which, as I said earlier, is easier to quantify. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And speaking of a business and understanding the business, the, the next point is actually about staff buy-in. So, so how about this one? 
Yeah, so it's absolutely, for me, one of the most critical, pivotal pivotal points of whether a program's going to work or not. So when we do an audit of existing programs, staff buy-in or love by your people is one of the main points we evaluate. And that can mean, is it frontline staff? Is it call center staff? Is it is it senior staff? Because if they're not buying into it, the whole thing's an uphill struggle. It's like sticking jelly to the wall. So, so staff buy-in is critical. We've worked on brands where the client has really um, invested in the in the launch and the training and the ongoing staff involvement in loyalty versus working with brands that haven't. And you can see the difference. You can feel the difference and then you ultimately see it in the results. So this is not something that's just warm and fuzzy and to be, oh, you know, let's let's involve the staff so they feel part of it. It's involve the staff because your customers will need humans to talk to. Your customers will want to feel it. Your customers will want to know that this is goes across every part of the business. Now, obviously, some organizations are people intensive and others are less so. So the the depth of this, but even so behind the scenes, it must utterly be supported by staff and um, delivered from the top of the organization. Sure. I know that it's, it's, it's a challenge for sure. So are there any tips perhaps, you know, something that we could do in order to make sure that actually, you know, there are people who actually love the program within the organization from the very, very beginning. I mean, super simple stuff like can your staff members join the program? Now, sometimes that's not possible because um, maybe, again, I'm using retail, but maybe in the retail environment, they get a really great deep discount for being staff members. And then to layer it with a loyalty benefit is just going to be too costly. And it's better for the staff to get the staff discount than the consumer loyalty benefit. But... Um, there must be ways, right? So we've got to find uh, creative ways. So if it's not so much a double layering of discounts, then I would say let your staff join the program. But with that comes a warning sign because most fraud that happens in a loyalty program happens immediately through staff. And we'll come on to that maybe in a little while. So that is a big red flag as well to watch out for fraud. So unfortunately, I would say 90% of loyalty fraud comes from within um, the organization. I have the honor of being part of the South African fraud loyalty fraud group, where we've got some amazing brands openly sharing their horror stories and their solutions to fraud. And yes, there are customer examples, but it's mainly staff issues of fraud. So Whilst you get staff buy-in, you've got to also simultaneously put the robust metrics or measures in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, another way for an incentivizing staff or getting staff buy-in is is by incentivizing. So if you think about it, if you want to get maximum sign-up of a new program, maybe you incentivize the sign-up process. So the more active you are in your store or your branch or whatever, and it could be really simple. It could be as simple as, hey, guys, at the end of the month, the first month, the store that's got the highest penetration of new members, everyone goes out and has a pizza. You know, I'm just talking about basic incentives of staff feeling appreciated and excited. And then a robust internal communications plan so that everybody understands why you're doing this. Go back to our first question. Go back to the why. Why are we doing this? And so that your staff understand it and back you up and are part of the journey. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. And it's like, uh, sounds, uh, so obvious, 
but but I, I I can imagine that it might be actually a like a real challenge in organization. Yeah, and I think as said to you previously, like I I really overly simplify things, so um, I I just think loyalty is complex. So let's radically simplify it as much as we can in terms of understanding and working with each other. So yeah, it is obvious. It's really obvious, but so few organizations actually do it in such a articulated way. So um, sometimes the most obvious things are the ones that get missed and then it costs the company later. Definitely, definitely. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so the next point on our list was actually, you know, managing change and actually going towards customer centricity. Yeah, so customer centricity is obviously one of those great buzzwords buzzing around our industry. Um, but it really is critical to future a future state organization. So I've seen some amazing companies put stake in the ground and say, if we don't become customer centric, we'll be out of business. So, you know, that's very powerful, very impactful, but that must be followed up with, well, what does it mean to be customer centric? So it's not just about marketing. It's not just about a loyalty program. So a loyalty program typically helps generate the data, the data insight. So, you know, if you suddenly have known customers versus unknown customers, you're generating data, whether it's transactional data or other behavioral data. And then with that, an organization needs to take billions of rows of data and turn it into insight. And then the insight can be used for, as I said earlier, you know, maybe it's going to be used for um, product choice, not just about marketing. So are we actually going to stock this product? Are we going to reach out into a new category entirely? Because that's what the customer data is telling us. I do believe retailers do this particularly well. I think food retailers we've seen way back tens of years ago when uh, the big giants like Tesco's in the UK started this journey with their Dunhumby partnership, just really showed the world how to approach this from a from the you think about the quality of their data because they're a grocery retailer, the frequency of transaction. And I think there were discussions at the time that the Dunhumby data from Tesco's was more insightful than any of the British government data on the population of England or Great Britain. So, but if you're a less frequent touchpoint organization, that can be more challenging, but it still can absolutely be done. So customer centricity is, I believe, the ultimate end game, but that definitely requires change management at the top of the organization. So I had the privilege years ago of working with a really, working inside, not as a consultant, a really fantastic retailer, but the retailing senior, senior management, i.e. at board level, depended on what most retailers do depend on, which is their product prowess. You know, we we secure the best product, we secure the best uh, produce when it's fresh produce for food. And like nothing else will change that. And that it's very difficult to change that mindset that just because you purchase, you you know, and you produce the best sort of mix of product, that a customer insight might change that strategically. So what customer centricity really is saying is don't change it, just enhance it and maybe challenge part of it. So it's the science and soul of data. So the soul of retailing is exactly what I just described. Like these are the very best strawberries you can buy in the country and everyone's going to flock to our store because we have the best red, juicy, ripe strawberries that last for the longest. 
Uh, that's the soul of retailing versus the science, which overlays that, that says, yes, but the customers who buy this also are your top, top profitable customers and they also want from you this, this, this and this. So it's the science and soul and they go together. And I think that's the big aha moment is don't think a customer centricity strategy changes the strategy. It should enhance it and challenge it and just make it more um, make more safeguarded against competition and the future because you focus on your own journey. You don't focus on what the competitors are always doing. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I also like the idea of like, you know, loyalty program being this sort of like a feedback loop, like just, just between the company and customers. So totally. And, and one of the biggest insights I, I'd love to share with you now is that change management piece is, is it really happening, question mark, in the organization? And where I've seen it happen well is when the board and the senior leadership team all have customer KPIs that their salary depends on, not sales KPIs. They'll have sales KPIs and they'll have people management KPIs and cost KPIs. But you have customer KPIs like what if the top segment grows in profitability by X percent? What if you stop churn? What if you get your your middle segment to grow and more of them are attracted into your top segment? Could you imagine then how how more impactful that would be for a business? So the best examples I've seen is when monthly there's a customer KPI review rather than just the traditional sales costs. Uh, KPI reviews. Sure. And also like, you know, that that opens the door towards like a lot of meaningful test testing, I would say, right? Because you could just like figure out and just test it out. Let's see. Let's see what happens if we just focus on this particular KPI here. Nice. The next point on our list of challenges was technology. And it was like, you know, both internally and, and you know, like, um, we also mentioned like third-party providers. So if you could elaborate on that a bit. Yeah, so obviously organizations will go through a decision-making process of whether they can develop their own technology stack. Maybe it's been home-built, maybe it's a stack from a third-party provider already and then develop it, even if it's not a focused loyalty slash data mart slash CRM program. So that has to be one of the major decisions that can be made. And if if the organization decides to use external vendors, then obviously you have to go off and source the best external vendor. And there is no one vendor, in my opinion, that can answer every loyalty program request around the world. Like there's a lot of fantastic vendors. And um, but tips I would give anybody sitting in my chair or in the client's chair when working with a technology vendor is if you're running an RFP, don't take the RFP response as given because what often is presented is not what actually happens when the vendor is chosen. It can often be very much over-promised, under-delivered. So go and talk to the client, insist on references and talk to existing clients of vendors and ask the difficult questions. You know, what happens when such and such happens? What happens if there's a problem here? You know, just just really here is as as the business person leading this project, open the bonnet, uplift, lift up the bonnet of the vendor, not them uplifting, lifting up your bonnet to understand your capability. 
And then there's so many add-ons actually. So, you know, that's the, often the loyalty rules engine is what you're talking through an RFP, but what about your customer experience channels? So is it your website? Is it a app? Is it WhatsApp? Is a new, you know, I know it's not a new channel, but it's very much becoming a great channel for loyalty programs. Um, so they often get forgotten about, ironically, because you may already have a website, you may already have an app, but it actually isn't able until it's developed to answer the loyalty capability. So don't forget all those extra touch points that all have to talk to each other. And then the absolute incredibly difficult um, environment is is the seventh point that you and I wanted to talk about, which is integration. You know, so... Um, Often that is why an existing technology stack within the organization or a home built stack can work better because of integrations. But I have seen more and more through clients the use of a middleware. So there's one middleware layer and then everything just connects through that rather than separate integrations all the time. But for me, working with a really fantastic third party technology vendor is very fulfilling and the client should be able to learn from them they need to learn about they need to make sure that the vendor is really jacked up in terms of its fraud capability going back to what i talked about earlier um you know its uat plan is it clear is it robust is it is it sort of tested in its own right the slas and so forth so there's an awful lot to think through it's not just has this has this company sold themselves well at an rfp there's a lot more to unpack and um make sure is right and then culturally you know you've got to work with this company not just to get to launch you've got to work with them I imagine for the next three years at least you know so do you do you actually like these people can you get on with them and do you want to work with them every day so that's so it's a cultural fit as well definitely and it's sort of like a long-term partnership it's it's not only like just deciding on like you know this this particular situation in this moment in time but as you said it just it's going to be three years or hopefully more. And there can be some horror stories. Hey, So we worked with a an incredible brand in Mauritius called, the company was called IBL. And they we worked with them from the strategy through to design and implementation to launch Weave, W-I-I-V, Weave Rewards. And it was a great project. They launched, it was a phenomenal success. They exceeded expectations. And through that process, they had acquired um, the relationship with a third-party vendor. And then about 18 months into this journey, the vendor went bankrupt. And overnight, this company managed to save A, the database, B, the point balances so that customers could be treated where they left off. And then they built literally overnight with a couple of in-house developers the capability to communicate, save the database, and promote so that they could keep the program running at a basic level until they actually rebuilt themselves in-house a complete rules engine. Wow, that's impressive. That's impressive, like, you know, crisis management at, at its finest. On steroids, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. So the lady in charge of that was a lady called Cecile, um, and she shared her story with me. It was absolutely incredible. Okay. Wow. I'm just like, you know, my heart rate went up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine too, just saying it again, yeah. Definitely, yeah. So 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 for sure you need solid partnerships because yeah, it's 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 a long term commitment. So so definitely. Um 
The, the next point we were going to discuss was about leveling the customer experience channels. Yeah, so I think they're touched on, you know, when you're choosing the technology provided, can they also deliver for you your frontline channels? Um, and often they can't. Often there's another organization that's much better at app development or web development. So, and most organizations, I'm sure, will have a website at least, even if they don't have an app to, maybe the app is going to be developed because of loyalty. So these are the channels that are so important. They're most important because that's actually what the customer's going to experience. And I always find they're the channel that gets the least attention or the part of the technology plan that gets the least attention when it comes to to a complex program build. So it's not only the technology, it's not only the capability of those channels, but the look and feel of those channels, because that look and feel has got to reflect the mother brand. It can't suddenly just be out at a juxtaposition and not feel like the same brand that I'm building the loyalty program for. And then there are other channels like, um, obviously notifications within the app can be super powerful. Um, as I said, in the market I'm working mostly in, in South Africa, the WhatsApp channel is really powerful now. It's becoming quite a player in the execution experience for the customer. Um, or a less wealthy customer who can't necessarily use smartphones. We have USSD that I believe is quite a quite a unique thing to South African market or African market. So can you deliver this program? If you are a program that has to service wealthier customers who are completely using smartphones at all times through to customers using traditional feature phones, can you actually satisfy all those different channels with the same customer experience, with the same loyalty program. And that's that's the ultimate challenge ahead. And if you can do that, then great. If you can do that, you're actually ticking the right boxes. It, it also depends on, the, on your customers, right? So the last point that we were going to cover was about communication style. And, and you know, so, so the difference actually, how we communicate, like the difference perhaps between the regular marketing communication and this loyalty program related communication. So yeah, this is a favorite hot topic of mine and I drive agencies crazy and I apologize openly to all of them <laughs> in this open forum because I tend to find even some really great CRM agencies still deliver loyalty communications as if they're broadcasting in an above the line messaging approach, which they're not. So um, it requires a different slant on the language. It requires, I think, a more humble approach. Like, don't try and knock my socks off. I'm already, if I'm reading this email, I've opened it. Um, if I'm reading your welcome message, I've already joined the program. I don't need a sales job. I need a job that creates trust. I need a job that's going to explain the program to me so well and in such a simplified manner that I'm left with no confusion how I'm going to maximize my, my benefits or the way I'm going to work with this program. So that's the difference. It's not always about wowing through the communication and trying to sell and trying to be sort of um, amusingly, you know, intelligent, um, but with a slant of amusement. It's not about that. It's about building trust articulating clearly the benefits of the program and enabling the customer to feel that they can trust this brand and get benefit from it and in return change their behavior and it's clear as how, how they need to do that. 
So we always recommend that the the agency works on a loyalty lexicon, which is basically a, a new language which is on brand, and everything is thought through against this lexicon. And then typically in a great member engagement plan, we just talk about three or four pillars. The fourth would be actually the first, which is how do you acquire customers? And that's the only pillar that reflects traditional above the line marketing, because maybe you are doing a billboard or unlikely, but maybe you're in store trying to attract members, um, but might be migration from old program to new program. So that's the acquisition piece. So that's the only bit that's more traditional. Then you have a pillar that we, we define as loyalty operational comms. So that's like, welcome to the program. Here's your monthly statement. Here's your notification that you earned some points. Here's your notification that you redeemed some points and so on. So whatever the program offers you, the communication just keeps reinforcing that you went through this journey and that XYZ happened to you. And that's the law, you changed tier. So you're about to change tier, you've changed tier. Oh no, you've downgraded tier. So they're the operational comms and there's a way of doing that. We then have the challenge of integrating what's called like the annualized marketing calendar into all the other communications. So because it's Mother's Day, maybe the loyalty program is going to do a special personalization campaign, picking up on the data, who's likely to want to buy Mother's Day gifts um, or Valentine's gifts and so forth. So you think about all the touch points, maybe it's school holidays, maybe it's festive season of how the customer is going to interact with your brand and building that into the loyalty program proposition. So that again is another pillar of communication and engagement. And then last but not least, again, I'm simplifying it because there's a lot more, but the fourth pillar is we call the sort of life, you know, the life cycle or the life stage, depending on what, how you're slicing and dicing the data, the segmentation approach. So we pick up that Amanda and 100,000 people like her are on this journey with us. Um, and then we can pick up that other customers are super high flyers and spending frequently, but actually not cross shopping enough. So how do we take them on that journey? And that's obviously bespoke personalization, which is data dependent and needs to build in some of the calendar communications, some of the operational communications all into um, an integrated approach. So it's not simple. <laughs> But it's not simple, but if you can simplify it in your mind, you can then plan around it. And a great loyalty platform and a great strategy and a great execution plan can can make it work. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I can see the complexity, but I also see opportunities in, in like, you know, executing this complexity well, because definitely this is the way to, let's say, you know, deepen the 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 experience with your brand, right? So this is really important. So thank you so much for sharing those areas of like, you know, possible areas of improvement. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I could talk about loyalty all day. So <laughs> thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. I've enjoyed it. Brilliant. I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, just, just, just one of many chances for us to talk about, you know, different aspects of loyalty, but um, this is it actually, like, you know, for today, we have covered all of the common challenges that, that we, we planned. So thank you so much for sharing your experience and thank you so much for dropping, you know, tons of useful knowledge, because I'm pretty sure that now we are going to, you know, make sure that the yeah, age just like goes out there and people can really act on everything you've said. 
Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before we finish? Thank you for the opportunity. I mean, I am, as I said, I do overly simplify deliberately. Um, so I'm actually in the process of writing a book for the trust, the Blind Loyalty Trust. And the book is called Blind Loyalty, which is 101 radically simplified loyalty ideas. So we're going to launch that later this year, which is taking exactly what we've talked about today, but breaking the world of loyalty down to 101 separate points and making them short, sharp, simple to understand concepts about loyalty. So watch this space, but it's aligned to my principles of simple, simple, simple. Amazing. So I'm already, already looking forward to reading that. And I hope that we can discuss it in the future in detail. Oh, with pleasure. <laughs> Thanks very much. Lovely to chat. Thank you. Wow. I'm amazed at how effectively Amanda guided us through these challenges and made everything crystal clear. Now, let's align ourselves with her principles of simple, simple, simple with a few housekeeping items. First, you'll find helpful links in the podcast description. Second, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for more valuable content related to the episode. And don't forget to stay tuned for the next one. Have a fantastic day, everyone. The Loyalty Program Builders podcast is brought to you by the team at Open Loyalty, the world's most flexible loyalty software for creating personalized loyalty and gamification programs fast and at scale.